Irish NFL show. Firstly, thank you for listening to the show. We truly appreciate all our listeners. If you are enjoying the show, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing on whichever podcast platform you are listening on. It makes a huge difference. It helps others to find the show, and we would massively appreciate it. Also, reach out to us on social media. We love interacting with listeners and with fans from wherever you are in the world. And with that said, on with today's episode. Welcome back into the Irish NFL show. And whilst we were busy getting through all the Steelers news last week of the fact that they've signed into the international agreement with, with Ireland, there was other stuff going on in the NFL. The NFL owners made was on. There was a number of different key talking points coming from that. And to discuss all of that, before we get into the books, delighted to be joined by Andrew Morgan. Andrew Morgan, who is the former GB Lions QB coach. I hope I'm getting this right now, uh, Andrew of the Birmingham Lions and the Shropshire Revolution Offensive Coordinator. So you will know everything about the X's and O's that goes on in the NFL. Andrew, great to have you on the Irish NFL show. Hi there. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on. Um, I'm not sure I know everything, but I'll I'll give it a go. <laughs> Definitely give it a go for you guys. Thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me onto the podcast. Well, okay, I certainly know you know your NFL anyway because we we had a good nice chat last week about all the various different uh, news factors around the draft in particular. Uh, you are a books fan for your troubles. I say for your troubles because it, right now people are saying the books aren't going to have a good season, but you have had some have some success over the past couple of years. We will come to that. Obviously, Brady departure and all the rest that comes with that. But um, there was a little bit of news coming out last week, and I, I suppose even over the last 48 hours, I'll probably start with the, the Andre Hopkins news in which he's been released by the Cardinals. And I suppose it didn't really come as a massive surprise to most NFL, NFL fans. I think leading up to the draft, there was a, kind of a lot of storylines, a lot of room. I mean, like there is with every draft, that one player in particular who's, I suppose, going to be a casualty hit at some stage for the team. They can't afford to keep him, essentially. It looks like the cards were doing their utmost to move him. Couldn't get the right deal. Have held on, but inevitably reminds me of last year where the Giants had to release James Bradbury. Um, he's gone, and now I suppose the market is out there to see who's going to pay him. What's your thoughts on, on Hopkins? And I suppose, are the Chiefs and the Bills the frontrunners? Yeah, I think it's really interesting to look at because obviously coming up to the draft, they were looking at a lot of things. You've got a new general manager. You've got a new head coach. So they're going to be looking at trying to sweep the floor, sweep the board, start again with everything. Um, the Cardinals are kind of locked in at the moment because they paid Kyler Murray last offseason. They probably paid him a year too soon, people were saying, on the rookie contract. Um, so they're definitely locked in there. So they were looking for ways in which they could like get rid of their cap. And I think especially when he went on the, on a podcast last week and kind of destroyed the Cardinals. Um and was really specific about what he was looking for in a team in terms of really what they didn't have currently. Yeah, I, I think it was inevitable that they were going to be trading him. And the thing that was tricky for the Cardinals is if they were trading him, they had a 21 million, 22 million cap hit that another team would have to absorb at the same time. So it was going to be really hard to find a trade partner. Um, so now we can look at test the open market and um, and see what he wears, where he wants to go. Um Obviously, he's going to be looking at the Chiefs. He's going to be looking at the Bills. Both of them currently, I was checking over the cap this morning. They've got maybe a million, million two in terms of cap space. So if they were going to incorporate him on, that would be, they'd have to do some reworking, some restructuring, things like that. I had a couple of destinations that I like the look of um, myself. The Lions being one of them, they're kind of 
the team that everybody likes to follow since the um, since Hard Knocks last year. They've got cap room. Jameson Williams is suspended for six games, um, or was it nine games, because of, of the betting. So there's going to be a, a vacancy there at wide receiver. But also, maybe the Ravens. Again, they've got cap room. They've just resigned Lamar. They invested in Zay Flowers, in OBJ. Why not pop Nuke on the team as well and see what happens? An interesting team for me now, because I'm the listener. You're talking about teams that have cap room. The Patriots. I think they've something in the region of 16 to 17 million. So you would yeah, imagine I think they can make sense. Yeah, and I think bringing Bill O'Brien back and having is is going to be interesting because one of the reasons DeAndre Hopkins was traded was I think there was a little bit of unrest there. They essentially traded um, DeAndre Hopkins for for David Johnson uh, three or four years ago for a running back who'd hit his peak and then was on the decline. And I think they might have maybe wanted to get rid of him. So it looks good on paper. I'm not sure if that's a relationship that they could rebuild um, over there in New England. Uh, but it would be something that they need to look at because weapons on the offense are something that they don't um, have a lot of currently. Still hard to believe that they didn't get a fourth-round pick from in that trade originally to the Cardinals and only taking the second-round pick. It was bonkers, yeah, absolutely bonkers what uh, what happened. But I think you look at the the end of the Bill O'Brien tenure with what happened with Deshaun, what happened with DeAndre Hopkins as well. There were a number of um, a number of players. You look at. Um, uh, Clowney as well. There were a number of players I think were getting a little bit disenchanted with what was going on there and wanted to get out and the the Texans didn't have very many bargaining chips with it. Even TJ Watt, for example, who has been a leading life for them and I suppose one of the greatest players to I suppose, put on a Texans jersey kind of found their way out and he went to the Cardinals as well. Yeah, and Just on the, the Johnson, or sorry, just on D-Hop in terms of the news, you know, it comes out this week and then there's a lot of storylines going around that they had a held on to him until after June the 1st. You know, the cap hit wouldn't have been as significant. Like, bearing in mind how close we are to June the 1st, that to me was the biggest surprise that they were willing to take the hit now as an absorber. Is it a case of, let's just, we know we're not going to have the best of seasons, we know it's going to be a rough year and let's just take take what we have to do now in order to kind of free up the space in the long run because going into June the 1st, they probably would have found themselves with a cap hit next year as opposed to just taking the full hit now. Yeah, so essentially what they've done by clearing the by by cutting him now, they they have the cap hit this year. But the way that his contract is structured, they clear the money off the books next year anyway. Uh, so they're not they're not beholden to him. And I think it was the podcast that kind of made him think. Right, we need to make a statement. We need to do something about this. Monty Austin Ford was just looking at it and going, right, clean slate, make a statement to the team about the way things are being said in the media, the way things are portrayed. We're we sorry portrayed even. We're starting afresh. We're doing things new. Um, and this is our direction moving forward. I think that was the message that they were trying to send there. Certainly as a new GM, you want to, you want to um, I suppose, put your foot down and, and I'm going to show other players that you want to be there for the future. You know, you can't have players going out in, into the general public domain and saying essentially what they want about the organisation. So totally, totally understand why you had to come out at this particular time. And it was rolling into June. The reality was like it was never going to end well. So I suppose it's, Cut your losses and move on. Yeah, I'd imagine over the course of the next five or six days, he will get signed. I don't think this is one that will drag on for too long. As you said, some team will find a way to negotiate it. Yeah, exactly. And and you mentioned that. I mean, there, there was another team that I looked at as being a um, being a potential suitor would be Dallas. Dallas loves its offensive weapons. They 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 want to throw the ball. But again, he kind of 
made reference to Dak Prescott in that in that podcast as well. So it's it he could be cutting his nose off to spite his face a little bit in terms of where he can go, where the the, the pay structure will be. Because at this time of the year, teams have signed all their free agents. They've, they're if they're restructuring contracts, they're in the process of doing that for the big players. So look at the Bengals; they've got money, but they've got to sign Joe Burrow this off season. So they've got to keep money back there. There's other teams that obviously have got to sign their draft picks as well. So it's going to be tricky for him to get the money that he might have gotten at the start of free agency if he was um, if he was on the market then. Well, we're talking about players who want to play with particular quarterbacks. Um, I'm not sure how many people want to play with a quarterback that. Well, I, I think back to the 49ers and Jimmy G got traded. You know, sorry, he wasn't traded. He was a, he was a free agent. He signed for the Raiders, and it's come out over the past twenty four to forty hours that he's failed medical and in March, and yet they've still gone ahead and and signed him. And, and part of me doesn't isn't surprised because the NFL is a nature, and like people tend to over kind of react to certain news. Like the reality is, if he's failing a medical in March, there's enough for them. They've seen enough, and obviously Josh McDaniels has the relationship with him from his days at the that the Patriots, that they, they know come September, he'll be ready to play and they feel he can go with the injury. But yet, now there's more story needs, story coming out and needs kind of documentation around how they have to reduce the contract. And there's a bit of a get out for the Raiders now and, of course, all the speculation over the past few days with the fact that Brady's now, you know, kind of becoming a kind of a shareholder in, within the ownership to Brady could find himself playing quarterback again. But it is, as much as it doesn't surprise yeah. me, it does, it does come across as an unusual one and yet, it's more because of the time this year where there's very little going on. People are going to make a bigger deal of this than they really should do. Yeah, I think so. I think especially with Jimmy with his with his injury, there was always going to be, be a projection of, well, we're signing him in March. Will he pass his medical for OTAs uh, in, in May time? Probably not. But if we're able to extend this on into uh, training camp in August or September, then that's going to help the Raiders. Raiders. And ultimately, that what they're looking for is somebody who fits in more with what Josh McDaniels wants to do because with the way that, obviously, it was there was a lot of, um, a lot of hype around Derek Carr and what he was going to be able to do in that system, having had uh, John Cruden and all of the back and forth that they'd had over the years. Here's somebody who thrived with New England and was able to then make that transition over to San Francisco when, when he was traded. So... I think what they're looking at is we know he's not ready now. We're, we're more confident that he's going to be ready uh, come training camp for us. Um, and especially with the way that they've got, they've got the offense structured there, it's I think it's a case of we know what we've got with him. We've just got to wait for the time until he's um, until he's ready for us. Uh, the, the owners meeting took place last week and... I suppose there's been another kind of backlash in terms of changes that have been made within the rules. And one rule in particular is the uh, the special teams and the kickoff. I mean, essentially now we're going back to the college rules, which I saw firsthand in the Aviva in Dublin last year when Northwestern played the college game against Nebraska. That if you can you can fair catch a kickoff, you know, and return basically take the ball to the 25 yard line. And the NFL have come out with the main reason behind this is that they want to kind of reduce injuries and. I know from reading a number of different storylines and listening to a number of podcasts, do you, do you believe that the strategy on kickoff is going to change that? What you're going to find is you're going to have kickers doing script kicks and various different kind of short range kicks in order to find the ball in, in the in a player's hands who's not used to running with the ball. And they'll, they'll take a chance that essentially if a guy picks it at the 25 yard, you know, two, two 
Five times out of ten, that particular guy is not used to returning kickoffs. He gets hit, he drops the ball. And what they're calling messy players tends to end up with injuries. And what the players are saying is, and um, what the coach is saying is, you're going to find you're going to you're going to see more injuries because of this, as opposed to what you want there, which is less injuries. And for us as fans, kickoffs are so exciting. Takes that element of the game away. I mean, are we getting to a stage where let's just get rid of kickoffs altogether and just let them start at the twenty or the twenty-five yard line? It's a tough one, isn't it? Because player safety is paramount. You've got all of the in the in the same um, edict from the league in terms of the kickoff change. They have now changed uh, the rules in terms of um, leaving the feet. So you're going to see a lot at the start of the season in terms of defenders who launch at a player. There's going to be foul. There's going to be flags on that as well. So they every year they're bringing more things in. I think there's a few things for me on it. Yes, definitely to that point, either a squib kick, kick or something that just balloons up and the, and it comes down with snow on it from the kickers. That's going to potentially uh, bring more injuries because you could have upbacks or blockers who aren't used to carrying the ball, obviously getting tackled. You could have that situation where if you've got a kicker who's going to be able to balloon it and get it to drop inside the third between the 40 and the 30 and the, and the guys waiting there forever and that could cause a problem as well um but for me there's there's a couple of things i think the first thing that's a shame is you you watch hard knocks everybody watches hard knocks and they always focus on those players who are undrafted or late round picks and they say you've got to you got to get your place on special teams well how are these players going to make it into the league now because you'll have taken kickoff and kick return away if they're able to take fair catches, uh, punt, punt return, potentially. It, but now you've you've half the amount of things that they're able to do. And it's going to be really hard now for these guys to get on the field. And especially if teams are going to either A, boot the ball out of the end zone or try and get it so there's a fair catch. You take the New England Patriots, for example, you would never have discovered a Wes Welker, a Danny Amendola, um, a Julian Edelman, these guys who are kick returners. And it's really interesting that Kevontae Turpin, the um, Cowboys rookie from last year, who I think he returned like maybe three or four kicks in the year. He had a crazy season. He's like, I'm still returning it. Like, this is my bread and butter. This is what I am what I can do. This is what I'm good at. So there's going to be that conflict between the teams of, we've got, we'll have dudes back there who can really kind of like change the game for us. But also, if we're starting on the 25, the analytics is saying that chances are we're going to have more drive success over the course of a game if we can have a, a fixed starting point that we can control if the ball comes to us um, in the air. So, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how teams approach this because a, a team that's quite savvy with its rules, so maybe the Titans, Patriots, they'll be looking at ways that they can influence this rule. And then maybe more analytical teams like the Cleveland Browns, they're going to be saying, well, let's just boot it inside the five, most of the time, teams are going to be trying to uh, take a touchback on that or take a fair catch, and then we can control the game that way. So, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see what they do, but it is bringing more and more out of the game that the fans want to see. So it's I'm, I'm torn between the two things. One, player safety, obviously, really, really important. But two, also, these are paid professionals who are trying to make a living, get themselves onto the field and progress and... Um, they're taking away some opportunities there. I heard a really interesting one yesterday, and it's it's you now they're saying it's it's even about to play before the kickoff because, and they use a two point conversion as, as a case in point, where a team goes for two point, and the law of averages that team is going to score two points. Why not take a why not put a hit on the quarterback? 
And because it, what, what happens is the, the penalty is on the resulting play, as in, you know, you see, they say 15 yards will be inducted on the kickoff. But if the team knows they have no opportunity to even return it anyway, you're giving them the opportunity to kick off from the 40-yard line. Should only get a balloon into the end zone anyway. So why not yeah. put a bit of damage on the opposing quarterback? Yeah. You know, now, there is a risk that if they don't score a two-point conversion, you're giving them an extra play and they take the two-point conversion from the one-yard line. But there's a, I can see so many different kind of permutations as to how this is going to impact on the game, not just kickoff points, but even in the lead up to that particular play where teams will say, let's put a hit on a quarterback who's going up and down the field and let's try to rough him up, you know, because we'll take our blows. We're not going to do anything on the kickoff anyway. So yeah. I just think it's going to lead to some more, more, much more concern and problems around the game itself. Yeah, and and I think I think rugby union kind of has that same problem as well because I always I always know when I'm I'm, I'm switched on the Six Nations and I'm not the biggest rugby fan, but around about then is when the new rule edicts will come out and they're talking about different things with the the scrum and the tackles and marks and all this kind of stuff and even the commentators can't get their head around it and you wonder what. Well, all of these changes are these actually improving the game and and making it better for the spectator when you can sit and kind of work out all these permutations of well if i do this that means i get this and there's no real penalty for me doing this so i'll definitely do that i think that's where the league may have just gone a little bit too far on the side of safety um it's interesting because when this came through as as an introduction of a rule they didn't have the votes for it it was essentially Roger Goodell going into the room with the guys and saying, hey, I need you to vote on this. And these are the reasons why, that they then got the votes. I think four or five teams voted no, one team abstained um, on it. But yeah, it's it's something that seems to be um, forced through from the league on the safety point of view. And I wonder if by mid-season, they'll be looking at it and going, I don't know if this was this was a good idea for, for the game as we want it to be played. Yeah, the general consensus was that from the players and from the coaches that the Leavers weren't listening to them and when they weren't getting the votes through, I can't recall the particular naming of the meeting, but essentially it's like a private meeting beyond the meeting where all the media are taking out of the, out of the picture and the question. We'll discuss it at the private meeting and within two hours of going into the private meeting, it was approved. So look, I'd love to be a fly in the wall in those meetings as to how, as to how Roger does his business. I'm going to move on to, I think, that's an, I think that's a fair reflection of the last week. I know there's a couple of other items like flexing of the schedule. I think people have kind of aired their views on that. I think the league have probably given a little bit back by kind of giving the 28-day window. And then the other one around the three quarterbacks, which I think was a given because what we saw in the NFC Championship game was unfortunate, you know, for 49ers. And they're kind of unfortunate for fans taking away, which should have been a really, really good game, but didn't play out that way. I'm going to turn our attention to your books because uh, it has been another, I suppose, an unusual off-season in the sense that, I suppose, the Brady didn't come as a huge surprise, bearing in mind that he kind of came back last year and I think everybody saw the play just didn't really add up to what I suppose many expected. And whilst the Bucs made the playoffs, it was very much a feel if they won a bad division and from what we saw from all the other teams this year. And once they came up against an opponent, they would quickly be found out. And I, that was that was where laid out. And I think for the Cowboys, if you look at the way their season ended, they knew for quite a long time they were going to play the Bucs. It was like as if they took the foot off the cast, got it going again in that wildcard game and the Bucs couldn't live with them. Brady's moved on. The head coach last year has a few question marks. You have to give him the benefit after a fourth year. But the division is wide open, it's fair to say. Like the Fox and Panthers have improved. The Saints have gone and got Derek Carr. 
But I still feel it's a division that's wide open for a lot of teams. And even the books, it was people don't are down on them. What's your thoughts on them right now? Are you in the like we Baker Mayfield, for example? I suppose we'll start there. Do you see him as as the quarterback this year, or does Kyle Trask get a fair fair crack at the whip come come the uh, camp? Yeah, I, I think there's a number of things. I think you look at the two out of the last three Super Bowl winners now have over seventy four million dollars worth of cap, um, dead cap money. They've they've mortgaged the farm on success, and they've got it. So the banner hangs in the stadium. You've got the, the trophies in the cabinet, and now the bill comes due. Essentially, I think that's that's what's happening for the books now. I think there are definitely positives that can be taken from what's happened in the off season. So you've gotten a quarterback who's got first pick overall potential. You've got him on a contract which is laden with incentives and is very very cheap. So that's really really good to see. Um, in terms of their offensive coordinator search, it was a struggle to find one. They were in the running for Todd Munker and they were in the running for um, a number of different people who just looked at the situation and said, no, thank you, I don't, I don't really want that. Um, but bringing in Dave Canales, uh, the, Seah- the Seahawks quarterbacks coach, who was really pivotal and Geno Spiff having his turnaround year in terms of what he likes to employ on offense. So we're going to see a lot of wide zone, a lot of outside zone, a lot of bootleg stuff. Um, being able to feature the outside receivers down the field in the same way Lockett and Metcalf were. So there's a lot of trends. That if we could see that from the book side of the ball, uh, from the offensive side of the ball, is going to be really, really good for the uh, for the books this year. Um, I think in terms of the quarterback battle, I think it's a, a competition. I think it's a quarterback competition in name only at the moment. I think uh, Mayfield solidifies there and kind of takes it and runs with it in, in the year. How far he takes that is is up to him, but he's essentially in a year now where he's going to get this is his last chance at a, a starting gig. Not, I don't think too many of them will come along again. And if this is unsuccessful, him he will be looking at the uh, the journeyman backup quarterback road um, for the rest of his career because he obviously he's had uh, Cleveland, he's at Carolina, he had a little look at the Rams, and it was interesting that they didn't want to bring him back after that run with Sean McVay. So that kind of like paints a picture. So it'll be interesting to see um, what the Bucks do. But ultimately, I think what the Bucks need to do is their draft picks have got to come through and do something in the next in this year. You look at the last couple of, of drafts, you've got Luke Gadecki on the offensive line, who really struggled. Uh, Devin Hall on the defensive line really struggled as well. You've got Rashad White, who showed some flashes and has only just kind of like come through. And I think the thing that was interesting with the the Super Bowl team is despite the fact that you had Tom Brady, you had Rob Gronkowski and Antonio Brown, 15 of the starters were draft picks and they were high draft picks as well. So behind all of the, behind the scenes of the big pizzazz, there were a lot of good players who had been drafted by Jason Light, they'd been developed and then they'd come to the fore uh, for the team. So it's about those players really kind of like solidifying and, and like and keeping up to the standard that they were drafted at. I think that's going to be really key for them because there are some great players. There's some all pro talents there, but yeah, I think it all comes down to the quarterback. And I think after five, six, seven years of Baker Mayfield being in the league, in the, sorry, about five years of Baker Mayfield being in the league, we kind of know what to expect from him now. So could we get to the playoffs? Maybe. I think, I think wildcard seventh team is going to be like our kind of window, um, but it'd be interesting to see what happens. They went very heavy on defense in the draft, which I found a little bit surprising because I haven't watched large parts of last season. 
the defense look it slowed up from what we saw in the slip ball, but I still felt there was games last year. If you look at week one against the Cowboys, Brady didn't have a particular right game in Dallas, but yet the defense held their own. And there were some flashes of brilliance from the defense over the course of the season. I didn't think the defense was the biggest concern, but yet they've gone heavy in defense. Offensive line is, was another concern. They've obviously tried to correct that as well, one of the picks. Were you surprised they didn't mix it a little bit more in terms of how many players they took, you know, defensively as opposed to offense? Yeah, I think when Todd Bowles is a defensive head coach, he's always going to have the ear of the uh, the general manager when it comes to uh, when it comes to the draft picks and where you go with that. I like the fact that they went with their board and Kalijah Cansley um, with the first pick, as opposed to maybe reaching for a quarterback such as. Um, Will Levis or Hendon Hooker. So I kind of liked the direction that they went. Um, they went there, um, but it they did have needs on that side of the ball that needed to be addressed. The interior of the defensive line, you've got Sue leaving, you've got Akeem Hicks leaving, so they had to address that. You had um, needs at edge rusher. Shaquille Barrett tore his Achilles. Joe Trinchinka has flashed. He looks great coming off the bus but he's had four sacks the last two years. So that's another high draft pick that really needs to perform. So I kind of liked where they went with that. And I liked that they went back to the well of the Division Two offensive lineman who just obliterates people on film and tears up the senior bowl and he hasn't got any front teeth. And I, I love that pick because um, um, he's going to do a really, really good job in that line of really like trying to set the tone um, in terms of the physicality, um, which was really, really nice. So I think I think they drafted well, but I think this is going to be looked at as a rebuilding year because because of the deficiencies at quarterback and potentially who might be there in free agency next year and who's going to be there in the draft next year because there'll be a few guys who definitely will be on the Bucks' radar um, at the quarterback position. Yeah, I know we spoke last week separately when we were in the recording room. And, yeah, I suppose the bet America for the first round pick next year. Like we took, we spoke about flip flopped in this year's draft and the lead up. You know, I think by two weeks out, we knew it was going to be Bryce Young next year. Williams is already like one to five on with the bookmakers, essentially. Whoever is picking for us, and with all due respect, like we don't like the word of you know tanking and drastic and components, but teams have to look at teams come week 13, week 14, where they are, and obviously have a bit more of a long term strategic view on what they're going to do from the front office perspective. Like, He's a standout quarterback, and whoever gets him next year will probably have their franchise quarterback for God knows 10 years. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think there, there's a lot of star power still on the Buccaneers. I think there's a lot of positions where you've got, you've got Tristan Wirfs, who's probably the best offensive tackle in the game. He's moving from right tackle to left this year. Ryan Jensen comes back, who's one of the best centers. Vita Vea is unblockable at times at 350 pounds. You've got some two of the best corners. Um, in the league in Carl Davis, Jamil Dean on the outside, Antoine Winfield Jr. In, at, at free safety. So there are still those kind of key contributors from the Super Bowl team who will be there with the experience um, with another year in the system. But I think that behind those starters, there are certain, because of the cap considerations, there's just not that much depth in terms of quality. And in the positions where you need to see it, the, the quality is lacking a little bit as well. So yeah, I, I don't want to go back to the years where we were in like week seven and eight and the Bucks are two and seven. And I'm like, right, okay, let's 
let's talk, let's concentrate on the draft. Let's look at who's coming out because we we aren't doing very well and my fantasy team's doing rubbish. So let's concentrate on that. I think we'll still be competitive. I think within the division we'll be good. I think the schedule helps us in terms of playing the AFC South and the NFC uh, NFC North this year. So with, there are going to be games that we are going to be competitive in. Uh, we're not being thrown to the walls in the same way that we were last year with the um, with the schedule. But yeah, I, I think wild card will be something will be the top end of what they're capable of. Nobody likes looking at draft analysis come week nine or ten. They might, they, unfortunately, someone has to do it. But I don't think anybody likes doing it. But uh, look, yeah, you're, you're, you touched on it there. NFC South is a division with a lot of question marks. You know, Falcons, Desmond Ritter, Bryce Young, how he's going to react. You know, it looks very favourable in terms of all the, the footage of what we've seen from his Alabama days. We just don't know how he's going to settle into being a quarterback in the league. And Derek Carr, on paper, looks like a really kind of suitable quarterback to go in to New Orleans. But again, the Saints last year for a long the people leading into the season felt that they would be a team that could really make a push for the playoffs and didn't materialise. So I would imagine that he, he will do well there. But it might take time to settle in. So who knows what way this division is going to play out. Yeah, there's question marks in every team. I think the, the team that will be the new media darling will be the Atlanta Falcons because they drafted the offensive weapons this year, in the last three years now. So when you've got Carl Pitt, Straight London, and Bijan Robinson there with the kind of offense that Arthur Phillips um, runs, then um, that's going to be really, really interesting for them. They went heavy on defense in free agency, bringing in Jeremy Bates. Um, bringing in a few of the guys that are going to really, really help. So that's going to be that's going to be a tough out for the books. But you look at the NFC as a whole. When you take out the Eagles and the San Francisco 49ers, there's there's then a drop off to maybe the Cowboys, Seahawks, Lions of the of the world. So it's a division where if you're on the rebuild and you've still got some pieces, you still have an opportunity to do things. This is me talking as a Bucks fan and hoping against hope that Baker Mayfield can do something. Um, but yeah, I, I think if we were in the AFC and you're looking how stacked the teams are from potentially one to six through seven, then yeah, it's it's a lot better place to be in for sure. Jeremy Bates, who was um, with the Bengals, never got the contract in which he was looking for, never materialized, got paid. Uh, yeah, a handsome payday and selection with the Falcons in the offseason in free agency. Andrew, I feel like you'll talk AFC South and all the divisions with you, and hopefully I do get another opportunity to have you on the Irish NFL show. Um, great talking all the latest NFL news with you, and of course your beloved books on the AFC, sorry, the NFC South. Um, thanks for your time on the Irish NFL show. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. <laughs>